My name is Jacob, and I am one of the ministers here at the Tri-Valley Church of Christ. You can head over in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be hanging out this morning. Ephesians is in the uh, New Testament, which is toward the end of the Bible. Like, most of the Bible already happened, and then you get to the letters of Paul at the end here. First uh, and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. That's what we're going to be preaching from this morning. That's what you're going to get to hear about. But before we get to there, I just want to take a minute to... Uh, Thank some people. Thank you to, well, thanks to Molly, who prayed for me before I go up uh, and preach. Most weeks, Lisa is here, and she prays for me before I preach, and I always appreciate that, but Lisa's home with uh, our younger ones who are a little bit sick, uh, and so Molly came up, came over, and she's like, I'm going to pray for you, and I want to pray for you before you go up. I was like, that's so sweet. So uh, thank you, Molly, for doing that. Um, Thank you to Darren for sharing a prayer that he wrote with us. We've been encouraging you guys as we go through Ephesians together to take the text from the sermon and then read it throughout your week and then write a response prayer to God using the language of that scripture, uh, just you know, responding and, and hearing what God is saying and, and having a conversation with God. And that's what Darren got to share with you guys this morning. So I appreciate him doing that and incorporating this practice into the worship. You may have noticed somebody that you haven't met yet on the praise team this morning. Uh, some of you have, but Michaela Grant is, was, has only been here for like three or four weeks. She's new to the area, and she's already jumped in and singing with the praise team. A couple weeks ago, she helped cook dinner for the teenagers, so get to know Michaela. She's a good one. Uh, thank you to Bill and the rest of the praise team, Kent, for all your thoughtful comments on the table, and uh, Rick for reading the scripture, and anybody else who's doing something? Thank you to all of you guys. There's a lot going on at this congregation, a lot of people doing a lot of things, and I am happy to be here. Um, yeah, so let's read Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 11 through, oh, well, first let's, we go together, this is, all right, fine, <laughs> let's get to the good part. This is how Paul continues his letter. Therefore, remember that formerly you, who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both uh, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Let's pray. Lord, one of your psalms tells us that unless God builds the house, the builders labor in vain. 
So we invite you this morning, build our house. Build us into the dwelling place for your spirit. Let us listen to where to what you want us to hear and go where you want to lead us. Give us courage as we listen for your instructions, as we listen for your will, and then decide whether or not we're going to abide by it. And thank you most of all for Jesus, who makes this conversation possible, who makes this mission in life possible, who gives us salvation because of what he did. We pray this prayer in his name. Amen. I'll tell you a story. In 2006, Lisa and I, we were living in New Jersey, and we had the opportunity to be part of a mission team that was traveling to Haiti to do medical missions, to do some evangelism, outreach, encourage, all kinds of stuff that you do when you go on a short-term foreign mission trip. Uh, and because of the circumstances of my job, I was not able to travel to Haiti with the rest of the team. I had to wait a few days, and then I had to go um, by myself. But I was accompanied by one other person from the team. So the majority of the team was already there, but then me and one other person got to travel to Haiti. So I stepped outside of my apartment early one morning, and I began my trip from New Jersey to Haiti. The journey involved going from New Jersey, getting a ride from New Jersey to the Philadelphia airport, and then from Philadelphia flying from there to Miami, and then flying from Miami to the Dominican Republic, which is on the same island as Haiti. Uh, they're divided down the middle, they share a border. So we flew into the Dominican Republic. We landed, somebody came and picked us up when we arrived in this city. But the person who was supposed to pick us up was significantly delayed. And we're waiting around going, where is this person? Are they gonna be here? The person I was traveling with got on the phone and started making some calls in Spanish, by the way, so I don't understand anything that's going on. And uh, the person says, okay, I'm on my way. I'm gonna come pick you up. So they pick us up. They drive us to this location that's near the border. And we get there. We've got our bags and we're, we're looking for our ride. And it turns out our ride is a gang of teenagers on dirt bikes. And they pull up on their dirt bikes and they're, they're beckoning us to, to get on quickly. They're like, come on, come on, come on. Uh, and so they load our bags and ourselves on the back of their dirt bikes, and we're racing through these streets to try to get to the border uh, on time. It turns out the reason they wanted us to hurry is because the border gate was going to be closing soon. So here we are. We're racing through the streets. Uh, no helmets, in case you're wondering. <laughs> on the back of these dirt bikes piloted by strangers that we, we didn't know. Uh, we arrived at the gate, and it turns out it was already closed. They shut the gate and uh, it was guarded by two men with machine guns. And uh, this gate is kind of like a little bridge that went over this shallow river. So what ended up happening is a conversation was had in French this time, which is what they speak in Haiti, and uh, a bribe was given, and me and my teammate were escorted down the embankment toward the river while these guards looked the other way. So we get down to the river, and I start to take my shoes off, because I'm starting to figure out what's happening here. We're going to carry our stuff. We're going to ford this shallow river. Uh, so I start taking my shoes off, and some of the, the, the teenagers that were escorting us and the people that were going to take us over to the other side, they start going, no, 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 no. And I go, what? I'm not going to walk with my shoes on. And they start gesturing toward this 10-year-old boy who's bent over like this. And he's going, this. And they're going like, no, 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 shoes. Yes, yes, yes. And I start to realize, okay, they are telling me that I need to hop on the back of this 10-year-old kid, and he is going to carry me across the river into Haiti. And if you've ever beheld me before, you know that I am not a small dude. 
And I'm thinking, this is kind of a crazy plan. Um, but sure enough, uh, I couldn't argue with them. I climbed onto this kid's back, and he piggybacked me across the river into Haiti. And that's how I began my mission experience in Haiti. True story. Absolutely true. All of those things happened. As you hear this story, you'll notice that Jacob contributed virtually nothing from, on the trip from New Jersey to Haiti. I didn't drive myself to the airport. I didn't fly any of the airplanes. I didn't operate any of the dirt bikes. I couldn't speak the languages in either of the two foreign countries. I wasn't the one who bribed the guards. It wasn't even my money. I was literally carried into Haiti. Every step of the way, I just watched while all the work was done by someone else. This is what we get in this next section of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We are reminded of all that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. This section is similar to the section that Justin preached on last week. Because once again, Paul is making this contrast between where you were and where you are now because of Jesus. Last week he said, you were dead in your sin, but God made you alive in Christ. You were in darkness, but now you are in light. And this week, he says, you were excluded. You were a stranger. You were a foreigner, but now you are brought near to God. You were far away, but now you are close because of Jesus Christ. And as Kent pointed out this morning, all of the action is done by not you. You didn't do anything. We didn't contribute anything to this. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. He did all the work. Grab one of these newsletters again. We point these out in the welcome and then we usually forget them. But I want you to grab this. If you have a copy, I want you to get it handy and find something to write with. Sometimes there's pencils and pens in the little bins under the seat in front of you. Or like I do, I just borrow one from somebody who has a purse. There's usually pens in purses. <clears throat> we printed this text on the newsletter this morning and we did this on purpose because we want you to interact with this text a little bit. Look at the middle paragraph, verses 14 through 18, right here in the yellow on your front section here. I want you to take a pen or a pencil, and I want you to underline all of the verbs. Uh, for those of you who haven't been in school for a while, the verbs are the, the action words, like uh, Jacob ran to the store. The ran is the past tense verb. Adjectives are describing words, nouns is a person, place, or thing. It's all starting to come back to you, I think, right? So underline all the verbs. I went ahead and did this ahead of time. Here's a little cheat sheet. For, uh, this is what I came up with when I was looking at this passage. For any of you Hermione Grangers out there, yes, some of these are participles, but let's not get into that. Uh, we don't need to get into the details too much. These are the verbs. This is the action that is happening here as Paul describes it. And as you're underlining the verbs, as you're looking up here and seeing the action is being done, by whom? Who's doing the work? Let's see. It's not me. Jesus is our peace, verb of being. Jesus made us one. He broke down the dividing wall. He abolished the law. He created one new humanity. He made peace. He reconciled. He put to death hostility, and he proclaimed Peace. All of the doing, all of the action is happening. It's being done by Jesus. It's God through Jesus Christ is doing all of the work here. 
like Jacob on his trip to Haiti. All these things are happening around us, and we just stand there with our mouths open, and we watch somebody else do all of the work. There's this common trope in TV and movies where uh, a secret agent will be out in public, and they'll cross paths with some civilian. And the secret agent is capable, and they're skilled, and they're trained, and they know what they're doing, and they usually come in and save the day. And the civilian is just surprised by all of this. The civilian is not equipped to handle a situation like this. The civilian in these situations usually does a lot of screaming, a lot of ducking, a lot of covering their head and their ears and saying things like, what's going on here? Why is this happening? Who are you? Have you seen one of these movies? It's, a, it's, a, it's an exciting formula for an interesting movie. Uh, the civilian is new to this. They don't understand what all the noise is about, all the running, the shooting, the fighting, the excitement, and the danger. And I think that, like that civilian, caught up in the crossfire of an exciting situation where the agent is improvising with martial arts and making homemade weapons out of things that they find lying around, I think that's how we should feel when we read Paul's description of what Jesus did. Because this seems to have something to do with us. The civilian is like, why did this interrupt my day? I don't, I don't know what this has to do with me. We should wonder that ourselves. Jesus broke down walls. He put to death hostility. He did all of these things. What does this have to do with me? Why did Jesus go to all that trouble? Well, to get an answer to that question, we can look at some of the other verbs that we find here. Not the active verbs this time, but now some more of these passive verbs that we get throughout this passage. We have been brought near. Jesus is doing all this work, but it, what, what this does for us is it gives us access to the Father. And we have become citizens and members of God's household. We are being joined together. We become holy. We are built together into a dwelling place for God's Spirit. This is what God is up to, and this is what it has to do with us. God is building something with us and for us. Jesus is the builder, and we are the building materials. He is bringing people together to build a house where God will dwell. And that's an exciting thing. And the more people are involved, the bigger the building, the greater the presence of God in our midst. He is doing something specific here. Sometimes when we think about freedom in Christ, we think, oh man, Jesus died for me, and I am free from sin, and now I can go and do whatever I want. I celebrate the freedom in Christ because it gives me personal freedom. And we got to be careful with that. There's truth that there's freedom in Christ, but not exactly the way that I just described it. If you go back to Moses and the Israelites, captivity in Egypt, and God sent him to lead his people across the Red Sea and out into the wilderness. He wasn't just freeing his people so that they could go and live under a less oppressive regime. He didn't free the people so they could go be entrepreneurs and like do their own thing for the first time in some new country. God freed the people with a specific purpose in mind. And that purpose was so that they could be with him. He brought them out into the desert so that they could worship and enjoy their relationship with God, their father. And like Justin pointed out last week, we are not just saved from something, we are saved for something. And that something, according to Paul here, is a united dwelling place for the Lord. That's what he's up to. That's what he is building uh, us for. 
Christ is the cornerstone, the foundation is the apostles and the prophets, and it's a location for God's spirit to inhabit. We get this in the last section here. You were far away from God, but now you're in. You're involved. You're part of the blueprint. And when this thing is built, that's something that you want to see happen, because that is when the Holy Spirit is alive and active. Not this building. We're not talking about coming together because because we have a church that has a structure and these beams and these fans and things. We're not talking about the building. We are talking about the people. When we gather here, God is present. Do you realize that? I don't know. Sometimes we come to church and we're like, man, I hope the singing's good. I hope the AC is just right. I hope I get to sit next to those people that I like. But we forget that when we gather, we are God's dwelling place and we are in God's presence. If we gather together outside of this building, like if we all just went to the parking lot and like gathered together, God is present. When we get together in smaller groups and we gather in each other's homes, say it with me, God is present. When you pray at home with your family, God is present. When Karen and Jean and Carrie and Betty put clothes on hangers in the closet in the Family Life Center on Monday mornings as a part of the benevolence effort, God is is present. When two people drive together to go visit someone who is sick, God is present. When outsiders become insiders, God is present. Why? Because we are his holy temple. We are God's dwelling place as a church. So, um, if you have I'll step over here to show that this is kind of a side thought. If you have children and they share a room with each other, one day your children might come up to you and they might say, Dad, where do we store the extra blankets? Uh, you should be suspicious if they ask you this question. And you, you could respond something like, why? What do you need the blankets for? And they say, we want to build something. Ah, okay, red flag. You should do some further investigating here. My experience tells me that your kids are planning on building one of two things. They need extra blankets either to build a curtain that's going to divide the room in half so that they can be separate from each other, or they want to know where the blankets are so they can build a blanket fort where they can have a clubhouse to be together with each other. Have you have anybody experienced this before? Is this just the Parnell girls? <laughs> Do some follow-up. Research when they ask you for blankets. Uh, curtains keep people out. Blanket forts create space to invite people in. I was thinking about that this week. And I was reminded that the Gospel of Matthew informs us that after the death of Jesus, the curtain of the temple in Jerusalem, do you remember the temple curtain? What did it do? It kept people from the presence of God. You can't handle that. You can't go in there. There's only one person one time a year that can go in there, and it separated them. The curtain was there to protect, but also to divide. But what happened after Jesus died on the cross? The temple, <laughs> torn in two. It was open. The dividing wall that had hung there for so long became a blanket fort entrance because of what Jesus did on the cross. And this is what Jesus was up to. This is what all these action verbs are about. Jesus did not just shed his blood on the cross so that individuals are free to do whatever they want, 
but he did so because it would open the door wide so that anyone and everyone could be reconciled to God together. Wide open door so that we can come together. So if your kids ask you for blankets, you should ask them, what are you building? And I think that that's a good question for us to ask ourselves as a church as well. What are we building? Are we building dividing walls? Or are we building blanket forts? If God's vision for the church is to break down dividing walls, to create peace between enemies, and joining us together to become God's holy temple, how are we supporting that mission? Are we putting back up walls that Jesus gave his life to tear down? Are we making peace? Or are we hanging drapes so that we don't have to look our enemies in the eye? This is a good question for us to ask. It's a good evaluation, assessment question for us as a church. And this was a challenge for the early church as well. The people that Paul was writing to had this challenge. Because on the one hand, the gospel that they had heard was telling them, you're all one in Christ. Go be the church. Love each other. Be together. You go together. On the other hand, there were some deeply ingrained cultural norms that they had that were hard to shake. They would say things like, their reaction probably would have been like, but Jews and Gentiles don't mix. We talked about that in our men's class this morning. Acts chapter 15. We don't go together. We're the chosen people. You're not the chosen people. This ministry is, is our thing. It's for insiders, not outsiders. Thanks, but no thanks. It was a challenge for the early church. And we have our version of that as well. We too are not immune to deeply ingrained cultural norms that can keep us from going together and from being the church that God has in mind. Kent, I love how <laughs> what you said just led right into what I said, the DIY generation. I can do this myself. I don't need community. I don't need your help. I'm seeing that more and more these days. Culture and technology make it easier and easier for people to live isolated, individualistic lives. But that's not God's vision for the church. And that's not what Jesus died for. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. And this one's a little bit in your face, so you have to, you have to prepare yourself for this statement. He puts it like this. Individualism is the growth-stunting, maturity-inhibiting habit of understanding growth as an isolated self-project. Individualism is selfism with swagger. The individualist is the person who is convinced that he or she can serve God without dealing with God. This is the person who is sure that he or she can love neighbors without knowing their names. This is the person who assumes that getting ahead involves leaving other people behind. And he goes on to say, for as long as individualism has free reign in our lives, we will not be capable of embracing church. So as I think about all the work that was done for me to get me from New Jersey to Haiti back in 2006, I'm thinking about all the work that Jesus did so that outsiders could become insiders. And I, I realize that that's something that's really important to Jesus. It was worth the effort. It was worth the work. It was worth him dying on the cross. And as I think about that, I think, I wonder how far I am willing to go to help move someone from being an outsider to an insider. What would I be willing to do? Would I be willing to go pick them up at the airport? Would I be willing to drive them on a dirt bike? Would I bribe a guard with a machine gun for them? 
Would I carry someone three times my own weight across a river? Maybe we're getting off track. Maybe that's not what's expected of us. And maybe that's a little bit scary in a high bar. So let's bring it down a little bit. Would I be willing to invite someone to come to church with me? Would I be willing to open up my home and invite someone into my life? Am I willing to share the good news of Jesus with somebody who has never heard it before, doesn't know how valuable it is? This is a good time for me to ask myself, am I building dividing walls or am I building blanket forts? People have been asking a lot in our church lately, this conversation that keeps coming up. People have been asking this question, what do we do to make the church grow? And I hear in that a desire for God's kingdom to grow. It's not just about the Tri-Valley Church of Christ, the organization, or for filling in the seats on Sunday. It's not about that. I think we all know that. But we want to share this good news that we have. We want to see people who are lost become found. People who are outsiders become insiders. And we're asking ourselves that question because we do see more empty seats. We do have all this building that used to be more full. And we're scratching our heads and we're going... What do we need to do? What should we do to help grow God's kingdom? That's a good question to ask. And I have a couple thoughts. First, I'll say, when you say, what should we do, I hope that you mean we and me included, and not just we, everybody else. <laughs> we meaning you. What are you going to do about it? We, the ministry leaders. We, the elders. We, the church programs. How are you guys going to turn that around? When we say, what can we do, I hope that we are including ourselves as individuals, but also keeping the, the body in mind. So after, I've, after that disclaimer, what can we do? This morning I'll say, I think we can make a blanket for it. That's what we need to do. We need to create an opening. I think we need to open our homes and invite people to glimpse what living in the joy of Jesus Christ looks like. That's something that in the past we've gotten away with not doing, because all the church stuff happens in the church building, and this is where religion happens, and, and it's got to happen where you live. It's got to happen in your yard. It's got to happen at your dining room table. Create an opening. You can open your heart to have a greater capacity to love people who are different than you. Part of the DIY culture is, I get to choose my friends. I don't have to put up with any nonsense. I don't suffer fools. There's so many people, I get to narrow it down and just interact with the people that I want to. And when someone comes up to me that I don't care for or who disagrees with me, I'm just going to do this. And I'm going to talk to my favorite people. We can't do that. We need to create an opening to people who maybe don't see everything that we see. We're, share ideas. Work together. And we need to open our mouths and tell the story of salvation. This might be the one that you were hoping I didn't say. Because a lot of times, for a lot of Christians, we hope that people will just catch on that Jesus is the risen Lord and that there's an offer and an opportunity to give your life to him. We hope that people will learn the faith by osmosis. We've been taught for a lot of years that all you got to do is just live a good life and let your light shine. And yes, you absolutely do. But when it comes to creating an opening and answering the question, how do, what do we do? I think we are going to have to get more comfortable with opening our mouths and sharing the actual specific gospel story of Jesus Christ. And the cool thing is, 
You know what the story is. You know how to do this. Whether or not you've actually done this or whether or not you feel comfortable doing this, and by the way, I feel terrified doing this. I'm worried about getting it wrong. Uh, I'm worried about what people will think of me. I just There's a million things that go through my head. It's scary, and I get that. Whether or not you want to do that, you can do this. It's something that you are equipped for. Yesterday, Molly had a soccer game. We showed up for the soccer game, and there was nobody to ref the game. Apparently, this is a problem with this soccer league. They're like, oh, half the time the refs don't even show up. Uh, so the uh, coach on the other team said, uh, I'll, coach the f or I'll ref the first half, and then I'll give you my whistle, and you can ref the second half. And I went, I've never refed a children's soccer game. I don't know the rules for the league. What if someone's offsides? I don't know if I'm going to get that call right. I, what if there's a penalty kick? I, I, I've never done this before. I don't know how to do this. But he was like, boom, here's the whistle. You've got to do it. No one else is going to do it. And I did it. I, I refed the game. And Molly's team lost 4-0. to zero. As I was thinking about this this morning, I was like, but... But I did it. I know how soccer goes. I played soccer when I was a kid. I've, I've been assistant coaching so far for this year. I know the kids. I've seen a few games. Like, I know enough to go and do it. But I wouldn't have signed up for it because I haven't been training. I, haven't, I don't have it quite right. I want to just make sure I get everything together before I take that step and do it. And I'm here to say creating an opening is just, just doing it. Do your best. Get through it. You can't control the outcome. I would have loved to have done a better job refing that made Molly's team win. I don't think I could have. They, they, they've got some work that they need to do on their soccer skills. But the point is, you can do this. Maybe no one's ever handed you the whistle before. But I'm going to hand you the whistle this morning and say, share the story of Jesus. And if you're still thinking, I don't really know how, then think about my story of how I got from Haiti, New Jersey, to Haiti. Think about it like that. It's a story that goes, I didn't do anything. Somebody else did all the work for me. That's the story of salvation. Tell somebody who's never heard the gospel, Jesus has done all this work. He died on the cross. He broke down the dividing wall. He created this place where we could all come together and worship God just like the Israelites brought to being in God's presence. Just, just give Jesus all the credit. That's one thing that you can do. The other thing that you can do is tell people about the journey. I told you I was in New Jersey and I ended up in Haiti and all this stuff happened in the middle, but here's where I was and here's where I am now. That's your testimony about what Jesus has done in your life. I was here and now I'm here. I was lost. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have hope, but now I found that in Jesus. I was living in darkness, but now I'm in the light of Christ. Your story might go something like, I was just going to church because that's what you do. Because My parents dragged me there. But somewhere along the way, I started believing myself. I started owning my faith. I started to become familiar with Jesus Christ, and it's awesome. I, mean, I love this person. I love what he's done for me. I have this strong faith now. Tell him the story of where you've been and where you are now. 